0: Our Asia correspondent is Ed White. He is correspondent with Financial Times based in Shanghai. Hello, Ed. Good to talk.
1: Hi, Catherine. How are you?
0: Really good, thanks. Indonesia has a new president. Please update us.
1: Yeah, so Prabowo Subianto, this 72-year-old president-elect who looks to have secured a pretty comfortable victory in uh, Wednesday's polls, he has to have one of the most interesting and perhaps unlikely backgrounds among new world leaders today. He was for a very long time a special forces commander and a top general under uh, Suharto, the former president and dictator until he was toppled back in the late 1990s. And from that Suharto era, there have long been unanswered questions and many allegations circling Prabowo, including human rights violations, um, which involve things like the abduction of democracy activists and, and killings in the 1980s. Now I should say he's always denied um, the most serious of these allegations, but after the fall of Suharto and the period of self-exile uh, in Jordan, Prabowo he has really for more than 20 years now had his sights set uh, quite firmly on becoming the leader in Indonesia in this very quite young democracy. And so with the backing of his tycoon brother Hashim, who owns everything from palm oil plantations to paper mills and mines and logistics companies, he has actually previously made two quite serious tilts running for the presidency, but ultimately lost twice to uh, Joko, Oudori, uh, who is now, uh, Joko Widodo, who is now the outgoing president and, and is more commonly known as Jokowi. Now, What really seems to have changed uh, Prabowo's fortunes has been Jokowi's decision to appoint him as the defense minister back in 2019. And this move, um, according to people who really follow the country quite closely, served to help transform his image in the eyes of most ordinary Indonesians from this kind of opposition leader, hard man, strong man, military uh, guy, to someone who is now much more aligned with this very popular uh, Jokowi presidency uh, and the very popular policies that Jokowi has been pushing. And he now has to stand down after a maximum uh, two five-year terms in power. And so he hands over uh, in the coming, the, the poll, the counting will still go on for about another month or so, but Prabowo will certainly be the next president.
0: What impact might this have beyond Indonesia's own shores? Shores. What kind of leader are we expecting?
1: Well, I think the key takeaway for many people is that there's actually an expectation that the key economic and social policies of Jokowi look actually set to mostly continue uh, in the Prabowo era. Uh, there are signs in saying that that there might later be a reversion to more kind of populist policies that people worry about, but the central thing at the moment is that the key policies uh, that the new president is expected to continue is this massive push and focus that indonesia has been making into this sort of export focused commodities world and so under jokowi who took office back in 2014 there's been a big focus on developing and processing the country's nickel deposits which happen to be the biggest anywhere in the world and this includes really building up a a domestic mineral processing industry which feeds into the global supply chain for electric vehicle batteries Uh, and the result has been that except for the pandemic years, Indonesia has had a, has had pretty stable economic growth for the for the last uh, decade or so, so about five percent every year, and that's attracting record levels of foreign investment. Uh, this period of stable growth has become quite a, a thing that's been really helping to boost the country's middle class. Um, domestic spending has been improving and consumption's been improving. And so Prabowo has really promised to keep on that road and and provide certainty. He's also promised to continue Jokowi's rather controversial plan to shift the country's Capital from Jakarta to Nusantra in eastern uh, Kalimantan. And that's a project that will, um, is still quite controversial. It's going to cost like $35 billion and see nearly 2 million people relocated. But that all said, at various stages over the campaigns and over the years, he has signaled something of a flair for populism. So He's offered things like free meals and milk for nearly 80 million Indonesian schoolchildren, um, as well as massive tax cuts and and possibly revising um, really thorny uh, and quite tricky to do energy subsidies. So all of these sorts of things that sound good, but can actually be quite problematic for governments, especially in developing countries when it comes to paying for them.
0: And for Indonesian people themselves, the expectations?
1: Yeah, so he's, he, he is very, very popular. He has, and I I think the idea that he will um, continue Jacobi's policies has been the key thing that has kept him going. One thing that's really interesting here is that his running mate was actually Jokowi's son. And so that's another signal that you're going to start, that there is a sort of policy certainty and and potentially actually a sort of dynasty building happening in Indonesia. Um, Just on the international front as well, I mean, stepping back for a second, it's really important to note how crucial Indonesia is becoming, not just in Southeast Asia, but as a a global player. It's not just because of these industries and, and becoming really at the heart of the global transition to green energy, but you know, with a population of nearly 280 million people, it's the fourth most populous country in the world, the third biggest democracy, and also the most populous Muslim majority country. So there are concerns that over the long term, Rabobo has passed ties to the sort of period of brutal repression and the fact that his vice president is going to be Jacobi's 36-year-old son, that you could see uh, an erosion of democratic values, a sort of backsliding around religious tolerance and that kind of thing. So there are concerns around that for ordinary Indonesians. But, you know, he has been voted in. This is a, a very lively democracy. And so at the moment, he is he's starting at least as a, as a, as a very popular um, new president.
0: Now, in Myanmar, young people are worried they may have to join the Junta's armed forces. Could you update us, please, on the situation there?
1: Yeah, a pretty worrying development emerging out of Myanmar at the moment. So just as a reminder, this is a country that's been really sliding towards being a failed state since back in February 2021. Uh, when the junta seized power and ousted Aung San, Aung San Suu Kyi, and human rights groups say that the, the regime has since then killed about 3,500 people, arrested more than 20,000 people, uh, and, and many parts of the country are again embroiled in, in violent clashes between ethnic groups and uh, and, and the military, uh, and, and the, the international community has really disengaged um, over the last sort of year or so and, and tried to distance itself from anything to do with the junta. And the, the situation appears to really have deteriorated since around last October when there was a series of attacks by resistance forces and um, according to reports I think something like 35 towns across the northeast and central and western Myanmar have since then fallen back into the hands of resistance fighters and this wave of fighting appears to have really sparked a rise in um, casualties and and defections and desertions from the Myanmar um, security and armed forces. And so in response to this situation, the Myanmar government, uh, the military government has announced uh, on Saturday via state television that they're going to be activating a new conscription, well, it's actually an existing conscription law, which was going to require men and women serve the army for at least two years if they're caught up. This requirement can actually be extended to three years for People who are trained in sort of professions like doctors or other kind of key services, and so while reporting from Myanmar at the moment is very very difficult. Journalists um, from Nikkei and other other publications who have been interviewing uh, young people in the country, they uh, young people are, are, have are very very much opposed to this. Um, they are saying that rather than join the armed forces, they will try to leave the country or even join opposition forces if they are called up.
0: Very good. Thank you. Your time is always so appreciated. Thanks very much. That's Ed White. He is correspondent with the Financial Times based in Shanghai.